7. Follow along then as I read uh, the Word of God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear uh, of one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do uh, wrong, be afraid. For he, has not, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, come before you today and we ask that you would uh, guide us and direct us, that you would speak to us from your word, uh, that we would take this passage and see how it uh, applies to our lives and, and affects us, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the instruction that you give us in your word, and we pray uh, that we would heed it in every area of our lives. Help me as I walk through this passage and preach it, and give me uh, the words to say this morning. Uh, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Our main point this morning is simply this, that Christians should obey the government. Uh, that kind of should be a no-brainer, right? We should obey the government. We should do what we're told. We should keep the laws, all of those things. But you have to pause for a moment and, and just kind of use your imagination, if you will, and remember the time in which Paul is writing this. Who is the government? It's the Roman Empire. Who's the head of the Roman Empire? Caesar. Typically speaking, Caesars are not nice guys. Uh, there's a little bit of debate, of course, when Romans was written, but in uh, AD 54, the Caesar who was in power from there until I think it was 68 or 67 was Nero. Remember the Nero who, who you know, we say down through history, he, he fiddled while Rome burned, kind of a little crazy. He burned the city of Rome, allegedly, and then, of course, he blamed the fire uh, on the Christians. Not only this, they had other local and regional governors throughout uh, the land in various provinces. You had centurions and armies stationed in various places throughout the empire. Uh, these were tough people. This was a, a tough crowd. And if they thought that you were, were leading a rebellion, if your religion was considered an illegal religion... They could arrest you. They could throw you in prison. And you'll remember Paul gets thrown in prison and he appeals to Caesar because he is uh, a Roman citizen. And so you have to remember they did live in a day and age where the government secured and guaranteed certain rights that were inherent in the people. Uh, it wasn't the nice, pleasant American constitution that we have today. So this is 
hard words for the Romans. And yet, even in our day, it can be tough at times to submit to the government. Christians should obey government authorities. First, this morning, obey the government because God establishes government. The whole reason that Paul lays this out is it's because what is government? Government isn't the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. But who puts government into effect? Who establishes it? Who allows governments and nations to rise and fall? It is all in the hands of God. And so we are to submit to government because ultimately we need to be people who submit to the Lord in every area of our life. We're to be subject then to the government's authority. Notice verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We're to be under them. We're to submit ourselves to them. We are under the authority of the government, and so we obey it. The Christian is supposed to be a good and loyal citizen. Titus 3.1 says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And this should be at all levels of government. First Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So just kind of as a silly illustration, if you buy a house in, a, in an area that has a homeowner's association, uh, and we've done that at one point, well, we still have a home up in the Poconos that's under a homeowner's association. And, and let me just tell you as an aside, homeowner's associations are sometimes just very pain. They're, they're a nuisance. They're, they're, they have all these extra rules. But guess what? You have a responsibility to submit to that. You submit to local government. You submit to state government. You submit to uh, the federal government. All levels. And you see Peter writing there, even if it's an emperor, even if it's the Caesar, submit to him. So there's the broad principle in Romans 13.1. For there is no authority except from God and those that have been instituted by God. So all authority flows from God. But God often in his administering things delegates authority to certain people. You see this, for example, in the Garden of Eden. He delegates authority to Adam and Eve, right? He says, rule and reign over my creation. That's right. I've made you in my image. This is what you're to do. Now, are Adam and Eve the the ultimate authority? No, God is. But why do human beings have authority over the animals and over creation? Because God delegated it to us. You think of yourselves as parents. Kids, why are your parents the boss? I know that doesn't seem fair sometimes. Why are they in charge? Because God has, has established the family and, and delegated authority, if you will, to the parents. That the parents set the rules and the standards for uh, the household and for the children. In the church, Christ delegates authority to elders. And of course, he has 
others to lord their authority over others, but nevertheless, God in our lives puts and establishes positions of authority, and he does the same thing with government. All of it is, is instituted by God. Now, you'll see that at the end of verse 1 there, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul is saying this, as I've already pointed out, when the Caesars are the ones in charge. So, in Acts chapter 18-2, uh, we see Claudius, one of the Caesars, uh, he was the one right before Nero, he had kicked the Jewish people out of the city of Rome. Uh, there was an uprising, there was some fighting, we actually think it was because some Christians, Jewish Christians, had been involved in the synagogue, and they started debating about it, and it led Claudius to say, forget it, this is getting crazy, it's civil disorder, all of you need to leave Rome. Not exactly the most friendly thing, uh, and yet that was the law. First Timothy 4.10, God is called the Savior of all mankind. We have a, a reference there, and it says, God, God is the Savior of all mankind. Guess what? We also have discovered a statue. It's a statue of Claudius. And you know what it says at the bottom of it? The Savior of all mankind. Nero started reigning, as I mentioned, in AD 54. He burned uh, Rome. Nero was horrendous in his behavior. One writer says from the time that Nero, quote, indulged in many licentious deeds, both at home and throughout the day, both day and night alike. This guy was vile in his behavior. He was disgusting. He lived out in a way of sexual immorality and impropriety. Nero was called the Lord of the World. And actually, according to one writer, I was looking at one scholar this week who's, who's done a lot of digging into this, and he actually talks about how during the reign of Nero, the title Lord, or Curios, became more prominent as a use of referring to Caesar. Now, the other Caesars at various times have been called Lord, but, but in terms of the evidence that we have, there's even kind of a, an explosion of the documentation of this uh, with Nero. And so what we have is it becoming more prominent. Now imagine Paul being in the city. Well, Paul's not in Rome yet, but imagine the Roman Christians being in the city of Rome. And what are they saying about Jesus? They're professing and confessing that he is Lord. Same word, curios. Remember back in, in Romans chapter 10, that if you believe in your heart, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now imagine walking up to some Roman on the street who's very loyal to, 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 to Caesar, and you say, would you like to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as your Savior and Lord? What do they think you're going to be saying if you called, if Claudius had been called the Savior of the world, if Nero was being called Lord? You're confessing that all things are under the authority of Jesus. You would have bumped up into the Roman government all the time with your confession of faith. And so it's really important here that Paul is making it clear. We are not leading a rebellion against government, Paul is saying. We still submit to Caesar. Now, we don't worship him as God, as some of the Romans did. But we 
you know, as Jesus says to, to Pilate in the Gospel of John, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my disciples would fight for it. We're not taking the message of Jesus Christ and picking up a sword and fighting against governments. The message of Christianity is going out in the proclamation of the Gospel and it's changing hearts. And yes, it's, it's bringing a new allegiance so that if you were one of these people that was involved in the emperor cult, where you were worshipping your king as a god, as was common in the ancient world, yeah, you're going to give that up and believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. At the same time, you put the king or the emperor or the governing authorities in the proper place. That God is over everything, and God has also established human governments. Uh, it's tempting sometimes in our world and down through the, the ages of history to think that, that government is satanic. And there are times where government does bring evil, and God in his sovereignty ordains that, that other nations should rise up and destroy that wicked and government, or wicked and bad government. But even bad and evil governments are, in occasion, allowed to exist by God's hands. And the Roman Empire at this time is a good example of it. We need first, then, to be reminded that God is sovereign over all things and all areas of our lives. God is sovereign over the rise and fall of nations. So, in the book of Daniel... Speaking of God, it says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who are understanding. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn this lesson the hard way. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, well, in Daniel 4, you remember, Nebuchadnezzar goes out and, and he sees everything in his city and he gets prideful and haughty and God humbles him for seven years by making him crazy. And we're told this in Daniel 4.25, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of the heaven, uh, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, that's seven years, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. So Nebuchadnezzar walked out and said, yeah, I've accomplished all this. Look at what I've done. I am the biggest and baddest king in the world. And God says, no. I'm the king. And I've allowed you to be king of your nation. And you need to learn that lesson. Jeremiah 27, 5. It is I who, by my great power and outstretched arm, have made the earth with men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. And then in Acts, as Paul is preaching uh, at the Areopagus in Athens, he said that God has made from every man one, or excuse me, from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So, so God determines the periods of the nation, when they are going to rise, when they're going to fall, how wide and expansive their territory should be, when they should shrink, when they should fall, when they should grow. Uh, God is in control of all of those things. That's not to say that man isn't responsible for his actions. 
man is exactly responsible for his actions. And so if the government takes up arms and, and launches an offensive war just to create an empire, they're accountable to God. But those actions aren't outside of the plan and purpose of God. And so even when evil people do evil things that needs to be resisted, we're to trust that God is still sovereign. That God is still in control. If we resist then the government authority, we are resisting what God has established. Uh, Romans 13, 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists what God has appointed, and those who will resist will incur judgment. If you resist the government then, if you take up arms, if you say, hey, we're going to lead a revolt, we're going to overthrow them, you're resisting God. If you're rebelling against the judgment, you're going to incur, if you're rebelling against the government, you're going to incur God's judgment. Now let me say this as a careful caveat. When a ruling authority tells you to do something that violates God's law, then we must obey God rather than man. Do you understand why that is? Who's the ultimate authority? God. Who's the authority that has established the government? God. Who is the government accountable to? God. So it's this, this ordering. And so when the government is here and God is up here, and the government says, hey, I want you to do something. But it's against God's law. I don't submit to them and just say, well, I, I'm God, I'm just following orders. Rather, we obey God rather than man. You see this in Acts 5.29. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. They were told not to go out and share uh, the gospel. Acts 4.19-20. Peter and John answered them again when they were told not to go out and share any more about the good news. This was by the, the Sanhedrin uh, and the ruling authorities in Jerusalem. When, yeah, he answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. So I looked this up this week because I know some of you have served in the military. And in the, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, you're responsible to obey all lawful orders. And it's actually in like Articles 90, 91, and 92. It, it spells out. Like if your commanding officer tells you to do something, you have to do it. But, but the language is really clear here. It says you have to obey lawful orders. Meaning if your commanding officer, if you're in a field of battle, and he tells you to do something that's Unlawful, something that breaks the rules of war, uh, killing non-combatants or something like that, you have a responsibility to not obey that order because it's an unlawful order. And so I was actually looking on the internet, uh, that's always a dangerous thing to do, but apparently there's lots of case law for this. Particularly there was some in the Vietnam War where people would do war crimes and then complain and say, hey, I was just following orders. And, and the court cases determined, no, you're only supposed to follow lawful orders. Now, some of you uh, have served in the military. I have not. 
And you know that sometimes your commanding officer or your sergeant or something, they give you a stupid order. A stupid order isn't necessarily an unlawful order. So sometimes in our lives, the government tells us to do something that we just think is silly and ridiculous. But we still need to do it. Sometimes it's the township government, right? They have a silly law about, like, your, your grass has to be mowed to a certain height. Or uh, when, when we were in a homeowners association, you couldn't put up laundry lines out front in your house. They could only be at, like, the back of your house. And, and, and you just go, oh, these rules are so silly, they're dumb. Yeah, but we're still under that authority. We're still responsible to obey it. It's not an unlawful order. It might be the stupidest law ever made. Comb your hair a certain way or something. And, and yeah, you know, that would go to the Supreme Court or the local courts would challenge it. And that's because that's the world that we live in. But we have a responsibility to obey the law. Second, this morning, obey the government because it is God's servant for good and for justice. What is God's ultimate purpose in allowing governments and placing them? Like, why doesn't God just, why can't we be like the extreme version of libertarians where there's no laws and we all just have our own uh, private property and we're all our own country and, and no, no laws between all of us? Well, that would quickly de uh, degrade into chaos. Which side of the road are we going to drive on? Well, I don't know. I'm going to be a libertarian drive on whatever side I, I feel like. I'm caricaturing it. The point is, God made the government for good. Don't question the plans and purposes of God that are for our good. Now, certain governments from time to time are not good. But the intent of God making government, the reason he establishes it, is for good. You have nothing to fear from the government if you do good. Look at verse 3. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive approval. So if you're going out and you're breaking the law all the time, yeah, you should be scared that the cops are going to find you. But t t most times and places, you don't have to fear the authority of the government if you're keeping the law, particularly when the government is just. I remember at a time... I've told this story before, but I first got my license. I was driving home from school, and I was driving in my dad's truck. And, and being a new driver yet, I'm so worried. And of course, my dad had given me the lecture of, you better not speed, you better not get a ticket, you better not get pulled over, or take your license and you'll be grounded at the end of time, kind of, kind of lecture. And, and driving along, and all of a sudden, there's like a cop behind me, and the lights go off. And my heart just like, comes up into my stomach, and it's pounding like crazy. I'm like looking at my turn signal, looking at my speed, and going, what did I do wrong? And, and I pull the car over, and the cop flies by, because he was on the way to another call. <laughs> I should have not had terror in that moment, because I wasn't doing anything wrong. First Peter 2.14, that the governors, it says, the governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. The principle is generally simple. Obey the laws, 
and stay on the government's good side as much as it depends upon you. The government is established to execute justice. For he is God's servant for your good, verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Governments are for the good of humanity. We should be afraid, then, of the government if we are disobeying it. So the government has the right, given by God, to establish and enforce moral laws to uphold them and punish the lawbreaker. So notice here, the church is not the people that carry the sword. The church is not the one where we all bring out our guns and we we go and we form a militia and we say, we're going to start enforcing God's laws. Rather, we minister the gospel. And we see... We want to see people come to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the government, which is distinct from the church, has the authority to punish lawbreakers. Particularly, they have the authority by God when the laws are moral and just. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Roman soldiers, of course, carried swords. And the sword is a weapon that you use to fight and to judge. It is a a good and proper use of of violence. Not violence for the sake of violence, but using force to punish the evildoer. Now this needs to be done within the context of laws, and the laws need to be fair and just and and done equally and all those things. But Paul is, is laying out the principle. Court systems, they have the right to demand sentences to take away rights from citizens, for example, throwing them in prison, seeing that they aren't able to do this or that any longer. Our justice system, with its laws and the defense of the intrinsic rights given to the individual, is far superior than the Roman Empire. And if Paul could say this in a time and place where they were ruled by emperors and tyrants, how much more should we be saying in our day and age. There is a time and a place to stand up and oppose unjust laws. If you think of the example of Martin Luther King Jr. doing it in non-violent ways and yet being treated hardly because he wanted to see that the laws were fair and just. At the same time, we're not to rebel and revolt against the government swords and overthrown them. We're not trying to start God's kingdom on earth in in, in terms of a a physical kingdom with land that is being ruled over. That that here is the spot where, where Jesus is king. Jesus is king of everything and he will manifest that when he returns. But until then, governments are set up and they carry out God's purposes. They are just as much a servant of God but in a different way, as the church is a servant of God, but in her own unique way for salvation and the spread of the gospel. So the government has delegated the responsibility to even enact God's wrath. Look at verse 4. For he is a servant of God, 
time to pool. Like, don't get out before seven on a Saturday and mow your lawn. If you start mowing at six thirty, you get you get cited for that. You know, there's understanding and grace for that. But obey the law because it keeps your conscience clean. I'll give you a good, uh, maybe not a good example, but kind of a dumb example. When I was in Bible college, and this wasn't a law, but this was somebody in authority over me established a rule. And they had a rule that said, don't go and see movies in the movie theater. It was really silly because you could rent a movie when it came home uh, to DVD. Or if you were on break and you were at your home but not at college, you could go see the movie. So there's all this like pharisaical case law, like when you could go, when you couldn't go, what reasons you could go. Like if someone invited you, you were allowed to go. It, it, it got ridiculous. It got silly. But most of us kept the rule, not because we agreed with the rule, but because we realized, you know what? We're under these people authority. They're in charge of taking care of us. It wasn't an might have been a stupid rule. But we obeyed it because in that way we kept our conscience clean and we honored God. I may have once or twice broken it just to mess mess (laughs) up, but uh, it didn't keep my conscience clean, put it it that way. Notice also we're to pay our taxes, verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes for authorities are ministers of God attending to this very You'll remember Jesus, right? Remember when they try to trap him? And they try to say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? I mean, that's like a really smart trap. Here are these Jewish people that hate Caesar with a passion. That that the coins have the image of Caesar on them. And so so paying your taxes with those coins would would almost be like endorsing the government. It would almost be like worshiping that that Caesar would be claimed to be Lord. So they trap him. Because if, if Jesus says, well, yeah, pay your taxes, then he'll get the really religious people worked up. If Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes, then they can throw Caesar and the government after him. It's, a, it's kind of a catch-22. So they ask him, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? And then he perceived their craftiness, it says. And he said to them, Show me an denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have on it? They said, Caesar. You know what the inscription was on a denarius? Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of divine Augustus. The Roman money did not say, in God we trust, on it. It said, Caesar divine Augustus. If you were a good Jewish person, you wouldn't be carrying these coins in your pocket. What does Jesus say? He says to them then, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Part of rendering to God what is God's is also obeying the law of the Lamb. So you pay your taxes, you give honor, you show respect. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. If you're an employer, pay your employees what you owe them. If you're in a contract with someone in your business, don't be stingy or late 
on keeping that contract. Don't try to use legal loopholes to get out of it. If you owe them something, honor that. Don't say, well, you know, I could win this in court because the language of the contract is unclear. Be a person of honor. Be a person of good reputation. Uh, if you have a business as a Christian person, your business conduct is going to be a testimony of how or you live your Christian life. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard from people, unbelievers, either heard directly or indirectly, that they'll say, oh, so-and-so is a Christian? I can't believe that, the way they run their business, or the way they treat their employees at work, or the way that they act around others in the workforce. If you owe the government taxes, you pay the government taxes. If you owe someone revenue, you owe them money, uh, pay them the money. Uh, if you owe someone respect, whether it's a, a leader, whether it's a figure in the community, it might be an elected official, it's just maybe someone who's prominent, give them respect. If you owe them honor, honor them. We were living in a foreign land, and it was the custom to show honor and respect to someone by, by bowing slightly, not as an act of worship, but just as an act of showing reverence and honor and, and due respect towards them, acknowledging their position and social status, we would do that. And not because we think we're worshiping them, but because God says we should honor those who deserve honor. If a police officer pulls you over and asks for your license and, and registration, give them your license and registration. Don't go off on a rant about government overreach. Now, again, the police is trying to do an unlegal search and seizure and all that. You can use the laws of our land to, to appropriately there. But otherwise, give them respect and honor. Thank you, officer. How are you doing, officer? Treat them with kindness. Let me just give you two principles then to end on this morning. And this is kind of setting a larger stage, if you will. First, the church does not replace the government. That should be a no-brainer, but, but I want to just dwell on that just for a minute. The church isn't the enforcer of laws. As I already mentioned earlier, the sword isn't given to us. We don't carry out court cases uh, inside the church. That is the role of the government. It, it's like the church and the government are kind of like on separate but parallel tracks. Like, we have our job, ordained by God, to, to raise disciples, to minister to the gospel, to, to help disciples walk in obedience. But the government has its job, which includes enforcing punishments, which includes jails and, and, and a justice system, the ability to find people and such. Let me say this, then. The church should not stand in the way of government authorities of just and moral laws. Again, this should be a no-brainer, but, but let me, because this has happened in recent days and, and, and down through the last decades, but let me just play something like this as a scenario out. God forbid this were to happen, but let's suggest, say something horrible happens in our church and something like 
someone is suspected of abuse of a child or even abuse of a spouse. And let's say you as a Sunday school teacher find out. Your duty is to report that to the government. And we go through that with all of our Sunday school teachers. There's a, a PA law in place now. Mandated reporters. And the church should never say, we're going to handle this in-house. We're going to look into this. We're going to investigate this. Because we aren't the government. God puts the government as his servants to dispense justice and to examine if crimes are committed. Now, there may be a role for the church to play on its parallel track. If someone is living in evil and they claim to be a Christian, we may bring them up on church discipline. And you may say, have to say, look, this person, they are so living in opposition to Christ, we're not even sure if they're a believer. And for that reason, they're excluded from communion and excluded from the participation in the life of the church. But that is its own track. That never takes the place or overrules the track of the government. And so the Christian should, in those instances, support the role of the magistrate. There are so many scenarios in our day and age that have not played out like that. The church never replaces, thwarts, or shields people from a just law and the government enforcing it. Second principle, and I know that illustration gets kind of heavy, but I think it's important, but the second principle, just on a, on a lighter note, Christians can be servants of the government. And that's a good thing. You can be a Christian and serve in the military. You can be a Christian and serve as a police officer. You can be a Christian and, and, and be a, a, an officer of the court, a judge, a lawyer, a politician. Because you can serve God in the church and also be a servant of God in the government on the other track. You see this throughout uh, the scriptures in Philippians. We see that Paul had contact and the gospel became known through the whole imperial guard. You see in Luke chapter 7, the centurion that, that comes to Jesus, and Jesus says at the end, I tell you, I've not seen in Israel, not in Israel have I found such a faith as this. You see it in Cornelius, the centurion, who Peter uh, goes to and shares the gospel with. He's a servant, who's, he's a centurion, excuse me, who's God-fearing. There's a story told by some of the early church apologists and, and also by Eusebius who writes in early church history. It's about a Roman legion that was fighting under Marcus Aurelius the Emperor, who was emperor from 161 to 180. And they were fighting up in Germany in the Germanic campaigns. And there was a drought. And the soldiers were thirsty and they were starving and they were just parched. And they couldn't get water. And the story is told that there were Christians serving in that legion. And they banded together, as Christians often do, and they prayed. And they prayed for rain. And rain and thunder came. The nickname of that legion became the Thundering Legion. 
And according to, to one of the, the early church fathers, the apologist, uh, Tertullian, he writes that Marcus Aurelius had even reported what had happened in some of his letters, and it was a, a well-known incident at the time. The point is this. The Christian can serve as a judge, a soldier, or a police officer. And they may have times where they have a responsibility to enforce the law as part of their duty as a servant of God and the magistrate. And they may have other times where as, as their duty as a Christian, they show love and forgiveness. So, for example, they have to balance these roles. So, a judge ruling in a court case who, who let's say the jury finds the guy guilty, uh, and he's guilty, and the judge has to bring down a sentence. The judge doesn't go, well, I'm a Christian, and Jesus taught us to forgive, so I'm not going to sentence this guy, we're going to let him go. No, in that moment, his calling is to be a servant of God for justice. And he should put down a fair and just verdict. But the judge might go home, and there's a neighbor who's being a jerk, and maybe dumping his trash into the judge's yard, and the judge is getting angry. And the responsibility of the judge at that point is to be a Christian. Don't necessarily call the cops and say, well, hey, I'm a judge, so I'm going to throw the law at you. Go and you befriend that neighbor. Maybe they've wronged you and you forgive them. I kind of wish Joel Good was here today because he's a cop and I could have picked his brain, I'm sure, for tons of examples. But we have in our own midst a man who serves as a police officer and has to balance being a Christian, being a good Christian, a solid Christian, but also, you know what? When he has to arrest somebody, he's told me before, he has to rough them up sometimes because they resist. He doesn't turn the other cheek in those moments, and that's okay. That's the right thing to do. Some of you have served in various branches of the military, either before you were Christians or while you were Christians. And I just want to say to you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because a just government is a servant of God. This is kind of a different sermon for us today, talking a lot about the government. But remember this. Paul lived in a day and age, and we often live in a day and age where government is competing for our allegiance. That it sees us as its enemy. Particularly in Paul's day, they thought the Christians were their enemy. And Paul has just said, love your enemies. And how does that apply then to us and the government? We love the government by obeying it. By giving reverence and respect to the offices of the government. And we show them that while our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not prohibit us from giving due and properly ordered allegiance to the government. When the government is, so far as the government isn't telling us to disobey God's law. And that is how you live out the Christian Let's close in the word prayer. Our gracious God in heaven.